0: Welcome back to Writers Festival Radio. My name is Sean Wilson. I'm the Artistic Director of the Ottawa International Writers Festival, and I'm broadcasting from the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg. Welcome to Season 3 of the podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for allowing us to continue to celebrate and support great writing and to serve our wonderful community. Our official bookseller is Perfect Books on Elgin, and wherever you are right now, there's an independent bookseller standing by who would be more than happy to sell you some great books. Today, we're bringing you a conversation between two friends who are also acclaimed and best-selling thriller writers. Our host today, Amy Stewart, is the author of the Claire O'Day series. Reader's Digest calls her the reigning queen of Canadian thrillerdom, and she was a guest on the podcast in the spring when she spoke with Andrew Piper about her third novel, Still Here. Recently, Amy sat down with Elizabeth de Mariafi to talk about her latest, The Retreat, which, in the words of the Toronto Star shines at once thoughtful and chilling, familiar and unsettling. Now, let's turn it over to Amy Stewart, who will introduce us to Elizabeth DiMariaffi. Here's their conversation.
1: Okay, hello everyone. My name is Amy Stewart, and I am an author here in Toronto, Ontario. And I am speaking today with Elizabeth de Mariafi, who is also an author. Um, she's the, the author of three books uh, a collection of short stories, How to Get Along with Women, which was long listed for the Scotiabank Giller Prize, and that actually four books. Right, Elizabeth. This is your fourth
2: book. It's this is the fourth book. Yes. It's, oh it's, my God! Look at you. I, I keep doing that. So I keep tripping myself because the yes. first book was short stories, right? And then now it's okay. So
1: fourth yeah. book, third novel. Exactly. Yep. Right. Okay, so this novel um, that came out in 2021 is called The Retreat. And the retreat is about Maeve Martin, a dancer who arrives at the Highwater Center for the Arts um, to reconnect with her dance career after uh, bearing a child and having some dealing with some sort of family issues. Um, As the description says, time is running out for the former principal dancer and mother of two to find her feet again after the collapse of a disastrous and violent marriage. But of course, things are never that simple. Um, An avalanche arrives at the Highwater Centre for the Arts and traps the guest, um, forcing tensions to run high. Help is coming, so they just have to hold on. Um, But of course, it's not that simple. So Elizabeth and I are going to talk today um, about everything from life to writing thrillers, uh, to shaping narrators, um, and main characters. And I have so many questions for you and I'm so
2: excited. So welcome Elizabeth. Oh, I'm so excited that you have so many questions. Um, Amy, uh, was one of the very first readers of this book, yes. and um, and I always remember that my my favorite thing that has been said about this was actually what you said when you called it terrifyingly fun because that was a hundred percent what I wanted to do. I just wanted to write something that was repulsive and fun, but yes. also really scary. I think scarier than maybe other things I've written. So
1: I just I just want to say I'm not going to give anything away, but <laughs> when I finished this. So I don't remember when I probably, did I read it like late 2020? I don't know when it was. Yeah. I would
2: say probably yeah. late 2020. Late 2020. Yeah.
1: So when I finished this book, I, um, I'm pretty sure I threw it across the room <laughs> <because> <laughs> of the way it ends. And then you sort of pick it up and say like, wait a minute. Like, you know, I, I may have even like emailed the editor and said, what, Like, did I, because it's just such a, it's, it's such a magnificent ending. And, um, that, that phrase terrifyingly fun just really does, um, really does, I think, paint the picture because you have the same feeling when you finish the retreat that you would have stepping off a roller coaster where you're sort of like, what just happened? Why is my heart beating? Um, so yes, um, I'm glad that that you you like that phrase because that really does that really does. Uh, so we're not going to give we're not going to talk too much about the plot. I think the little description that we gave, mm-hmm. um, High Water Center for the Arts, and you know Elizabeth that does such a great job in this novel of of really capturing the atmosphere, um, which is you know this this lonely, sort of creepy, up in the mountains, creepy just by virtue of its location and the time of year, its snowy winter, um, and you get the sense right away if something went wrong here, it's not going to be easy to access the help that they need. So Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about that, because I've read your other books. Atmosphere is something that you're very... uh, You do an excellent job of capturing, but maybe this is the first novel where um, Atmosphere is really actually like a character. You know what I mean? Like the location really plays Mm -hmm. a part. So can you talk a little bit about how you sort of pulled that together?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, there's, you know, it's a very limited setting in some ways uh, because we have like an inside (laughs) <laughs> that is, that is uh, I think, quite claustrophobic um, in terms of um, the, the arts retreat is sort of set in a, a lodge or a, a small hotel mm-hmm. up in the mountains. And then there's the outdoors. And the outdoors um, also becomes claustrophobic because of the nature of the snowstorm that arrives, because of the avalanche. But, of course, the outside is also quite wild. Um, and what I really wanted to convey... Um, with that, you know we we had a really big snowstorm here in St. John's mm-hmm. in January twenty twenty. And so I had already written the first draft of uh, the retreat when that happened, but um, it became really fascinating for me to get to live through, get to um, to uh, to live through um, a storm that was that big and uh, really took out the infrastructure, which is, of course, what happens in the retreat. Um, so a lot of the things that I had been thinking about, I got to experience in real time and one of the things I've been thinking so much about was what is the effect on everything else you know we sort of have this modern convenience um, human very human society way of moving through the world where we uh, really position ourselves at the center but as soon as you leave um, the infrastructure of a city you don't even have to go very far although Maeve does Maeve goes um, you know quite far up the mountain Mm. Um, you know the the climate and um and those sort of weather events and and what is happening outside your little bubble of a building um becomes so important um so you know that was definitely one of the things I was thinking about so there is this big storm Maeve really tries to just power through and keep working and and keep um Trying to meet her own expectations, regardless of the fact that this is going on outside, and so that um, I guess that conflict between her desire to um, keep working and keep making art in this case um, against uh, this very wild exterior that is uh, dangerous, uh, and not only is I mean dangerous in lots of ways. So the the storm is dangerous. It's blinding. Uh, it's cold. Um, and then also the animals around her are disoriented. So I really wanted to um, create a feeling of danger that was not necessarily human constructed. Um, right. I think you know in thrillers we often have the sort of feeling that we're being watched, that um, that something is coming, someone is coming. And in this case, when she's inside, that's very much the case, right? Um, when she's inside, there's there's always this threat of uh, a human who is potentially not what Maeve was expecting or not what what they seem. Um, And then as soon as she tries to escape that, the outdoors is uh, so oppressive and is um, another source of conflict, another source of danger for her.
1: So as an English teacher, we always, I, I, you know, as you know, I was an English teacher for a long time, high school English teacher. We always talk about the sort of inside, Um, forces and inside tension, inside conflict and outside conflict. And, you know, how many times have we teachers tried to get our readers to say what's the outside conflict? it's a storm or it's an a, you know an avalanche or a um, you know a supernatural event or something like that. Um, but let's okay, so January 2020, you're in St. John's, Newfoundland. you have a massive storm. We all saw the pictures and the videos of you know <laughs> doorways completely covered. I think I actually saw some of your um, pictures on social media. and then not eight weeks later, we're all thrown into this global pandemic. Mm. And like you just said, um, Maeve, the main character, is pushing up against this outside force of, you know, this avalanche and storm that's whirling around her when she's at the centre. But she's really, really um, determined to push through and accomplish what she came to accomplish. And, and so let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, I think... In the early days of the pandemic, there was this sort of, um, you know, now people refer to it as productivity porn. Where, okay, we're all trapped in our houses. We're all we can't go out. Some of us are our work life has uh, has ground to a halt. Our kids are home from school. You know, what can we suddenly do? with all this time, you know, I'm going to use this time to get into fantastic shape or to finish that novel or to, you know, learn how to knit or, or learn how to bake bread or whatever it is. Um, Without that sort of regard for the time and energy it will take us as humans just to process what's happening around, Mm -hmm. you know, to to, to our world, to our lives, to our children, to our families, to our safety, um, to like you said, all those things that we take for granted, you know, the lights turning on when we hit the switch and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so how, tell me, because you must've been then, if you said you already had a first draft done, you must've been entering the sort of second, third draft. And how did that, um, you know, play a part or influence or, or bleed into your, your work as you were in the later drafting process?
2: Well, it was very strange to be so, um, intensely inside Uh, you know, this kind of closed room mystery, you know, there's a a very limited cast of characters and they're isolated and they're actually trapped inside a a building together um, while the world descended into that exact same situation that everybody was trapped. Um, You know, I, I, I use the word (laughs) 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 we were, we were inside with our families. (laughs) Yeah. Trapped. Um, You could say it. So it was. It was extremely. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just gonna. That is actually the uh, warning bell that this meeting is about to begin. So hopefully it will not <laughs> happen again. Um, I'll just take that over. Um, it was uh, so fascinating to to have already really written Maeve through that experience of experience of being in a crisis. So there's the storm, there's this avalanche. Um, She loses contact with her family, her children back home. Uh, She's very high anxiety and her response is to try to control it. And the way that she tries to control it and control those feelings is to just keep working. There's a great scene where the avalanche has just happened and she's unaware that that's what's happened. Um, but uh, but she does know it's the middle of the night. The power's gone out. She's just had a terrible dream. And she actually says to herself, well, you know, I'm going to go down to the lobby because maybe the power is on down there. And, like, at worst, I can do a little work <laughs> because the windows are so wow, big. I yeah, remember that scene. Right? And that, you know, I think that is exactly what you're talking about in terms of that sort of... Um, productivity response. Well, I can't Mm -hmm. just sit here with my feelings, um, because my feelings are fear and that's too much. Um, so I'm going to throw myself into whatever it is. Um, you know, but there's a limited, um, ability, I think for all of us to do that without starting to process, um, some of that anxiety. And I, I think that we see that in me, you know, she keeps trying to work, um, and, and work out and and what she's doing is so physical. Um, Mm -hmm. and so for me, you know, uh, I'm not a dancer at all, but I am a lifelong distance runner and that is a hundred percent how I process anxiety or, Mm -hmm. um, or any of those big feelings. So, um, so it was, yeah, it was really, uh, interesting. (laughs) And maybe right. yeah. disturbing, like in the same way that it was sort of disturbing to have this big snowfall happen as I had just finished writing about a big <laughs> giant snowstorm. And then everybody was trapped inside, just the way my character was trapped inside. And I did have this moment of sort of feeling like, like, did I do this? <laughs> I know. You need
1: to you need to your next novel needs to be like a comedy where someone, you know, solves climate change. And I know. And, I just uh, I, exactly. find some some decent politicians and maybe, maybe you'll predict that too. That'll
2: Totally a rom-com where everything gets really good.
1: (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit. So you and I both, I think, have novels that are centered around uh, female protagonists, women Mm -hmm. uh, protagonists who are um, coping with similar um, outside forces um, and also internal, the 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 self doubt, the fear, um, the anxiety, that sense that they're being um, in the in in the retreat, that sense that you know they're being chased or that someone is coming for them. Um, you know, I think in hysteria, your previous novel, it was more about feeling. Um, tangled up with the truth and not trusting yourself and believing yourself and knowing, you know, what's real and what's not. Um So y- you really entangle your protagonists. I think you, you and I both have, you know, I think we've probably talked about this, that idea of having a woman narrator or protagonist who is is really wrapped in in a place of fear and anxiety, but still has to push through and be the hero of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, the emotional core, and I want to talk about fear, but I also want to talk about anger. Um, so let's start with fear. And, and how do you sort of balance um, your character's Fearfulness and and being afraid of the day and the people around them and the world and and the future um, with the strength that they need to to push through to the end of the story.
2: I think, you know the 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 core of that fear for many of my characters is something that's been imposed by the outside world. And I try to keep that in mind. So, you know, in hysteria, absolutely. The main character, Heike, um, has been, I think, uh, gaslit for so long that she's lost a sense of self. Right. Um, And it, and so her struggle is really to figure that out. Um, And, you know, for Maeve as well, Maeve's come out of this um, abusive marriage and, really is in a moment of redefining herself and um and not only finding independence but um but reveling in it Mm -hmm. so I think what I try to think of all the time is that the fear is actually coming from an outside place the fear is the world um the patriarchy (laughs) telling (laughs) women to be afraid all the time because uh you know if women are afraid then then we're less active in the world um so I really uh Maeve's entire action of I'm gonna leave my kids with my somewhat problematic mother I'm gonna leave them for two weeks because I have this opportunity to go to an arts residency and and kickstart this thing that is going to be the thing that will carry us through, that this will be the thing that... uh, So actually what she's trying to do is model to her kids and herself um, this incredibly powerful independent way to be in the world. And she gets there and the rug just gets pulled out from her Mm -hmm. really repeatedly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she has to keep... Um, like doubling down on this notion that no, no, you're, the 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 fear that the world has told me to, fee- to feel is uh, is lies, and I I I can keep getting up. I can keep getting up. So yeah, and I and I think making Maeva a dancer made that really um, an enjoyable way to write her, and also a, a deeply metaphorical way to write her because when she's working, she is working in a powerful, athletic physical way and she is also doing something incredibly joyful because she's you know creating with her body at the same time so I think having those two things come together uh, for Maeve um, was my way of negotiating uh, the experience of fear for her.
1: Right I mean there's something almost radical in a way about for us like for our characters but also for us Mm -hmm. um, you know because I think we all experience that the idea that you're, you're afraid and and you understand that that fear is there to sort of put you in your place and maybe stop you from doing things that you want to do. Um, And there's something radical about doing it anyway and pushing through. And Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, uh, uh, it's not funny, but just a a very um, relevant story. So, um, the Banff Arts Centre um, is is a place that many writers in Canada and around the world know. So it's also, um, you know, a centre where people go to do writing retreats or dance retreats or music retreats, and it's up in the mountains, uh, maybe not quite as isolated as high water, but, but it can feel pretty isolated when you're there. So I was there in December of 2015, so late late in the the season. And it was, you know, the days were super short, it was very snowy. um, And the place was pretty much emptied out because it was right before Christmas. And so there was a small group of us and we would have our meals together. And one night, um, this writer, uh, this woman I'd made friends with, another writer, she and I got up to leave dinner. And one of the, one of the guy writers said, you know, you two always leave together. Um, are, you, you know, are you going off to, to have a little party on your own? And, and my friend said, no, we just, uh, we're not going to walk home alone. So we walk each other home. And, and he was so sort of floored by that because it had never occurred to him that mm-hmm. you couldn't just walk from the restaurant back to the, the residence alone. Um, so it was this sort of tense but funny moment of him having this real epiphany about the difference in his experience versus ours, just that we were... We had automatically paired up without even really thinking about it as this, this little, you know, safety in numbers experiment, um, where we weren't going to walk home alone. So we immediately locked eyes and said, Okay, we'll go together. Um, And just all these mechanisms that we have in place, uh, to to overcome that fear and to be able to push through it. And it's almost like a language that you learn to speak and that and that other women around you speak too. And, and so often we end up speaking it together. So that your this novel really reminded me um, of that just just capturing that atmosphere. Um, okay, but let's talk also about anger. So I just went to, to the listeners in it was 2016, Elizabeth and I connected because, um, you know, Donald Trump had just been elected in the U S and um, the women's March was something that was forming. So you and I both connected because we wanted to um, take, take a role in planning these marches in our, in our home city. So when you say you and Toronto for me and I think that that uh, desire was born out of our sort of rage, even anger, rage at, mm-hmm. you know, what we were witnessing. Um, and sometimes it can be really difficult um, to find ways to to effectively channel that rage. You know, you feel helpless and um, just angry. Um, And I think that you and I are very similar people, like not just as writers, but as humans in terms of you know, things, things make us angry. And um, you know, what we see in the world, we get angry at um at things and then and then because I think we're naturally productive people, we're trying to find ways to channel them. So how does that, you know, you've written two novels at least. When did when did um The Devil You Know come out?
2: Devil came out uh in 2015. Okay. So it was it was before, it was, but you know right. I mean things were no, things weren't not like <laughs> things. I mean, there was a
1: world that led up to that, right? So yeah. but so things, all things of your novels have been um, do have this undercurrent of, you know, what's happening in the actual world. Um mm. and, and I can I when I read your novels, I, I see that I it's a familiar language to me. Um so let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, you as a person, you're not writing about yourself. These characters are not you. Um, but I wonder how much of what your experience in, in the world in terms of feeling, you know, that anger, that frustration, that disappointment is is seeping into your work.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think rage is actually a very useful uh, Emotion. I think it's a, a particularly emo- useful emotion for women, uh, because of what I said before. Because I think that that w- the way we are instructed to feel, um, you know, overtly and covertly uh, throughout our lives is to feel fearful, um, and um, and to feel all those things that you just talked about as leading to rage, the powerless feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I think rage is quite healthy for women. I think we have a lot to be angry about. And having said that, yes, finding a way to, um, to channel that or to, um, to make it useful. Um, so, you know, organizing a demonstration is a very useful way mm-hmm. uh, to channel that, you know, and I've sort of been involved in a number of them, um, mm-hmm. including women's March. Um, so, I think that feeling of solidarity that comes out of a demonstration is Mm -hmm. uh, hugely empowering. And of course, there's so many logistics to planning something like that, that it keeps you quite busy Mm -hmm. while you're feeling angry. Definitely. Um, (laughs) There's a
1: usefulness. Like you, you, it's, it's good to feel useful when you're, when you feel helpless, feeling useful is a good antidote to that.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And, and so, and what it, it, gives you that feeling of, no, there's things I can do. Look, I have this whole list of things I can do uh, with, with this, um, with this angry feeling. Um, But in terms of, you know, fictional characters, I think um, so much of what you just, when you were telling that story about Banff rings so true to me and part of what I'm trying to do all the time is really expose a way that women are living, that, um, Hmm. that, I think men don't always understand, you know, in just the same way that you described that. When I wrote The Devil You Know, so The Devil You Know is set in the 90s in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's about a journalist, a young journalist, who sort of gets assigned to kind of the murder beat. Mm -hmm. And the timing of the novel happens to be uh, in the weeks surrounding Paul Bernardo's arrest. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I was really writing about was fear because uh, women of my generation and and um, Amy, that would be you too. Yes, yep. <laughs> uh, who grew up, you know, in Ontario through the eighties and nineties, were I think really impacted um, by the by fear uh, because of um, Bernardo and others. Um, so when I was writing that, I spent a lot of time, t- you know, writing my character's way of seeing the world and her her heightened awareness of her, the space around her at all times, you know, in the, you know, when it was night walking home or whatever it was when she was alone in her apartment. And um, uh, the reader feedback that I got from that was not only women saying, wow, you nailed this or, um, or wow, I, you know, exactly how I feel. I was astounded by the number of men who wrote to me and said, I knew it was bad, but I didn't mm-hmm. know it was this bad. And you have really illustrated something. Um, So I really have carried that with me. And sometimes I wonder about it, Amy. um, And this might be something for us to talk about. You know, I wonder about it because here I've written this character in Maeve Martin in The Retreat who has survived a a violent marriage. Um, And that is a reality that is, I think, far more common than people are Mm -hmm. willing to admit. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's much more common. And I think it's more common in all levels of Yeah, across class. Yes, yeah. yeah, There's no, yeah. There's there's no no other real
1: identifier around, you know, socioeconomics or anything like that.
2: No, and and so on the one hand, it's extremely important to me to be writing women's realities, and Mm -hmm. and so every time we write a thriller, it's really a survival story, and Mm -hmm. my thrillers, and I think yours, touch on that sense of what women are surviving just in regular life as well. Mm Um, and then every now and then I think, you know, am I, am I perpetuating something by mm-hmm. talking about this too? Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, do, I know you ever exactly have, we, do you ever have this sort of like this feeling of, I have this sort of conflict inside where I go, it's really important to me to write this, to write this reality. And on the other hand, I'm starting to wonder about when will it be time for me to start writing a utopia? You know, that rom-com we were talking about before, a utopia where um, a female character is not shown to be constantly surviving male violence.
1: Well, I mean, I think that I I don't see that that's you know, I think that we can distill our characters and their experiences down to this core thing, which in both, you know, certainly for you in the retreat and for me in, in the still novels, we do have this element of a woman who's escaping an abusive relationship. Um, and that's a thread that really does hold the story together in a lot of ways, but I don't see in your book, um, that that's the core of who Maeve is. I, you know, I see her as a dancer and, and, and someone who's, who, as you said, has come to this retreat, um, from a place of hope. Um, so I think to me the way, I, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I, I feel that when we take on these stories, we have a, a, a real duty and sense of responsibility to, um, approach it with all of the sort of nuance and to real, to not make our characters about solely that, you know what I mean? To recognize that people that we meet in our everyday lives are having, are living through these experiences, whether it's um, domestic abuse or addiction or, you know, illness or whatever it is or fear or trauma that they've survived in their lives. Um, but that they can still have rich um, lives outside of that. and I think that that's what I, that's what I see you trying to do is not distill Mave um, or your other protagonists in, in in hysteria and the Wno down to this one emotion that they experience, whether it's fear or loss or anger. Um, you know, they're complicated women and and but that is a battle. It is a battle as a writer for sure. Um, but you know, if you were to write the rom-com, like your character still needs to have, like, you can't, I, I bet you would still say she, she, you know, she needs some kind of, of, um, backstory that includes that, that, uh, fear or anger or trauma or loss. You're just going to, you're just going to sort of reframe the narrative, but the story in many ways is, is still the same. So... Um, I don't know, but it's a battle, and and that's actually it's a hard question. It's a, it's hard, a hard question, question. Sure. and it's something I think that as writers, um, we have a responsibility to ourselves and to our audience to ensure that we're really thinking about that, right? Because yeah. When you bring topics like domestic abuse or addiction into your novels. Um, you are you are presenting them. And I know that we do that with a lot of care. I know you and I both do that with a lot of care, but you're also um, fictionalizing something that people um, experience in, in deeply difficult ways in their everyday real lives, right? And so that comes yeah. with a profound sense of responsibility to... Um, to come at it from a place of care and research and authenticity. Um, And it is an important question. And it's something that, you know, I think you and I probably both grapple with a lot when we're writing is how do I, um, how do I do do this so that um, I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm capturing something that's important to readers and, um, important to talk about, but that I'm not sort of fictionalizing it for the, just for the purposes of this story. Right. No.
2: And I, and I think, yeah, and I, I think that's, that you've nailed it there. You know, that uh, I think you nailed it with the word authenticity, actually, right. Like that, that you, when we're writing this stuff, when I'm writing these characters, that is always paramount to me is how do I write this character authentically to her and respectfully, uh, to her, uh, and bravely too. Right. Like I, you know, I think that, that for both of us, that that is, um, perhaps the triumvirate of trying to approach this in a way that doesn't shy away from reality, um, doesn't shy away from history. Uh, but, um, but creates an authentic character, a character that, um, that we feel this great uh, debt of empathy toward. Um, But also, you know, bravely, as I say, doesn't shy, doesn't shy back. Um, There's no sense in, in pretending things aren't the way they are. Um, No, because I don't think that we'll fix them if we do that. No.
1: And, and I do think, you know, I think with Maeve Martin in this story, um, as I said, having that um, richness of character where she isn't defined by, You know, trauma or fear, um, and that she she is coming from a place, arriving at High River or High Water um, Center from a place of hopefulness and and ambition, um, and and a deep desire to try, Uh, and and that takes you know what she's doing takes a lot of bravery. So, like you said, we're we're trying to balance, um, but it is I think not just in in this situation, it's important for writers. Um, you know, to be asking that question at all times around authenticity um, and, and the, the, the things that you're choosing to write about and how um, you can write them with care so that your reader who may have personal experiences with the things that you're writing about um, feels, feels that level of care and comfort um, as they're reading, like, or your effort, comfort isn't the right word, but you know what I mean, mm-hmm. your effort. Yeah. Um, so let's just before just to sort of segue into my last question, which is about Mm -hmm. your writing process. So, um, I want to know, I think every writer has like the nugget, right? Like the nugget. So is it the place, the person, the time. You know what I mean? Like where does it begin? The n- right. What's the nugget? And then, and I know you probably had a different nugget for all of your novels. So let's, but let's talk specifically about the retreat and then take us, um, you know, in two minutes or, you know, uh, from your <laughs> nugget to this interview, maybe not two minutes. You, you can take my best. I'll yes. My best. <laughs> <laughs> take us from, from that. Hmm you know, the seed that gets dropped into the soil
2: to uh, to where we are now. Okay. So uh, the seed of this novel actually goes back a long time to 2009 uh, when I actually did go to the Banff Center for the Arts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was uh, at the time uh, newly divorced. I'd had uh, a difficult divorce um, I was a single mother. Like, so a lot of the sort of right. uh, Maeve mm-hmm. factors are mm-hmm. there. Right. Um, and I had also just finished my MFA in creative writing. And I think I was so um, so focused on the idea that like, when you're doing an MFA, you're so you're, you're focused on your writing and and your ambitions, your creative ambitions. And I had this tremendous anxiety that I was going to leave that program and be swept away into the you know everyday and and incredibly important years <laughs> of paying a mortgage and looking after yes. my teachers. I know exactly yes. Um, so I that this is the reason I applied to Banff at all was I thought, okay, so I'm I'm finishing this degree and then in October I can go to Banff and it will recenter me. It will prove to myself that that there are ways to keep mm-hmm. up this practice of mm-hmm. writing. So off I went for two weeks. Um, and a lot of the things, I mean, I shouldn't say a lot of the things, some items from Maeve's story happen. So I was there in October and winter really did come in early. It mm-hmm. snowed and it was minus 20 at night um, and uh, and the elk were rutting and we were being mm-hmm. warned about them. And, and, you know, I'm from Toronto and I, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as I say, I grew up in a Hungarian immigrant family, so I did not go to summer camp or do any of that. Um, right you know we went back to Europe to visit family uh, in the summer times so you know I had not really been to a place with a lot of bear warning signs so that was new um but uh but I love all those things um so um so I while I was there I was working on short stories and I began a short story that I abandoned that was you know very much about a woman at an arts retreat like that. And it was a, an epistolary story. So it was written totally in letters um, back to somebody at home. And then, and then a catastrophic event happens um, some kind of weather event and they lose power and she, you know, she loses cell service and and is unable to send emails. Uh, So then the letters became one-sided, right? It was just this person writing letters to no one because nobody could hear her. Um, because she was isolated there. So uh, I didn't finish the story. I, you know, I wrote a few pages into it. I put it aside. And, uh, but that feeling Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. being, you know, away in the mountains to do something that's deeply important to you and having it get turned on its head so that now the fact that you went away is the thing that's trapping you there. Um, never really left me. Um, that was so the that, nugget. Yeah. That was the nugget, right? Um and then you know in the meantime I published a book of short stories and two other novels. Yeah, you know, no big deal. <laughs> no big, no big. <laughs> no big. Uh yeah, in my spare time. Um <laughs> no, but uh Move, but moved, I mean, to, moved to St.
1: John's, got married, you
2: know, all the things, all the things. things. Uh you know, and um and wound up with, you know, two extra kids in the bargain <laughs> and so um you know, uh, Lots of life past. And um, and then the other thing, and I, I'm sure this is true for all writers, is like whenever I'm working on a book, I'll be like, you know, well into it. And around that time, I'll read something else that's quite unlike what I'm writing. And I'll go, geez, I wish I was writing that. Yes. <laughs> so we all um, do that. Yeah, we all do that. I'm, I'm at a point with my current book where I'm actually not allowed to read fiction because I'm <laughs> just going to get distressed that I'm not writing that book instead of the book that I'm currently writing. But, um, so that's, and that is what happened. So I read, um, a really good, uh, thriller by an American author, Jen Phillips, uh, called Fierce Kingdom. And Fierce Kingdom is, uh, extremely, um, like an extremely closed room because there's almost no characters. It takes place over less than 24 hours. And it's about a mother with a four-year-old who gets trapped um, at the zoo when a, when she realizes that a shooter has entered the zoo right before closing time. Um, and it was just so propulsive and so close. Like it was written in this like intimate, intimate way, the sort of book that you can read, you know, in like a four-hour sitting. Right. Um, and, uh, and I went, oh, well, I really... That is what I would like to work on yes. next. I'd like to do something like that. So, I mean, that was to me. It's those two things that came together where I had, I had sort of um, an atmosphere uh, from that, from that trip to band from, and 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 a sense of stakes, right? I mean, I think right. this is really what we do with characters. Like by the time Maeve arrives at the High Water Center for the Arts, her stakes are already so high, her personal stakes, that then when the actual crisis happens things just kind of go through the roof. Um, but then, you know, I had this other sort of artistic goal of a uh, writerly goal of wanting to write this um, quick paced,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
2: um, takes place over a, over a limited amount of time with a very mm-hmm. limited number of characters kind of book, um, you know, which is which is what I set out to do with the retreat. So I think those two things uh, probably are are what led to this moment right now.
1: <laughs> well, there
2: you go. And
1: you and as I said, to circle back to the to our very um, early conversation, um, you accomplished that because because it, it, there is this roller coaster. You know when you get to the end of a roller coaster and and you come in and it sort of jerks to <laughs> like that. <laughs> that's the feeling of of. Um, you know, you, you really did accomplish that. Um, as I said, that was absolutely terrifyingly fun. (laughs) Um, okay. So we will leave it there. Um, thank you, Elizabeth. And thank you to the Ottawa Writers Festival for giving us the opportunity to chat, which I think was way overdue.
2: Yeah. Your questions were so thoughtful and I feel like the two of us could probably talk for four hours. We could, I know we could.
0: That was Amy Stewart in conversation with Elizabeth de about her latest novel, The Retreat. As always, I want to thank you for listening and for supporting authors and booksellers through these difficult times. The only thing better than buying a great book is buying one from a great independent bookseller. If you enjoy the podcast or any of our virtual programming, please consider making a charitable donation. I want to thank the Ottawa Public Library, the Government of Canada, the Government of Ontario, the City of Ottawa, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, Carleton University, and CBC for their ongoing support. This podcast is produced by Aaron Flynn, original music and sound engineering by Mike Dubay. Kira Harris is our program director, and I'm Sean Wilson. Thank you for listening.